Hey everybody, it's Maddie K here, and today we're going to start off with something straight from the SCP Foundation itself. This one is titled Hands. All credit goes to the author. I did not write this. I'm simply reading word for word what they have down. And here we go. Again, if you guys like, be sure to drop a follow. I really hope you guys enjoy and leave other ideas. And now we'll get into it. <clears throat> when you come across it, half buried in the grass by the side of the walking path, the first thing that stands out is how comically out of place it is. The hideous ochre rust that adorns its surface is a sheer contrast to the small ring of bright yellow flowers that surround it. You lean in for a closer look. It appears as if someone hastily dug a pit for it and then jammed it there before fleeing. You carefully dig it out of the ground. Perhaps when you get back home, you can sell it to the antique shop down the street. Or maybe you can give it to... Er Eric, for his upcoming birthday. He's a big fan of old things. If you scrape the dirt away, you get a better look at the object. It's a bell-shaped, like cartoon anvil. You grasp by a large ring on top. Oddly enough, it doesn't ring. Curious, you turn it upside down. The clapper has been taped to the side. Briefly, you wonder why, as you remove the tape and ring it a couple times. The sound is rather mellow and gentle, with a clear, high pitch, and a pleasant warning note. Almost immediately, you sense the gaze of some flesh-craving crime against nature. You look around, like a startled rabbit, but there's not a soul in the woods to save you. The sun is sharp and bright, and suddenly you're aware the trees are all blot out the sky, and there isn't a creature to be heard at all. It's just you and the miles and miles of suddenly very empty forest around you. You stand up, still clutching the bell by the clapper, and start walking. You can feel your heart throbbing in your chest. You're also suddenly very aware of how squishy it is. You walk slightly faster, eyes flashing from side to side. There it is again. The feeling that something is watching you, seeking to messily devour your flesh. What little sun remains is swiftly blotted out by the unbroken can canopy of dark trees that tower over you, but the path is well defined. You just have to follow it. As you quicken your pace, the lack of sounds becomes even more disconcerting. Where are the birds, the bugs, the squirrels? It's the middle of summer. You shouldn't be able to go more than an inch without startling something. But the only noise being made is the sound of your feet thumping on the dirt. Is it just you or the trees leaning in towards you? You hear a sound and your heart almost stops. You stifle a plea for mercy and look at the ground. You stepped on a twig. You chide yourself with a paranoia and ridiculous train of thought. You chuckled yourself nervously, but you can't quite help but feel foreign eyes observing you. You take a look around you. The trees aren't getting closer. They're sitting plump on the edges of the path. The forest is completely empty with nothing around you except the plants. You can also sense that it is getting darker and the clap of thunder is bursting into action. As you return to your car, your pace isn't quite a run, but neither is it a leisurely walk. Almost as soon as you shut the garage door, the increasingly gray sky turns a very deep navy and is in a fashion akin to the world's largest zipper, tears open. It's like God's showerhead, thousands of gallons of water, jets set, setting pulverizing on the ground, punching gashes into the earth, which bleed rain. You consider writing this down. Maybe you'll take it that poetry competition next week. You turn around, plan to get a... Wait a minute... What the hell is that? Enormous, gray, emaciated pucker hands with fingers sharp enough to cut rock and curl around the doorframe at the far end of the room. They are attached to the body of a leper, half peering around the door. You can see the ribs and even pulsating organs through the ash-collared, inhumanely thin torso. Huge scars line it in a hideous patchwork fashion. The legs are even worse. You can clearly see the bones of the thighs, which are far too scrawny to support the rest. The feet, scarred and stitched, boast three triangular toes. Their faces, hideous, gray, hairless mess. Two bulging white orbs with pinprick pupils stare back at you, from within lead-collared sockets sunk deeper in the Titanic. There is no nose, only a long, thin gash. 
The mouth leered jaggedly at you with crisp, white, shark-like teeth. The whole thing rests upon a two-meter-tall frame. For a moment that appears to be an entity, you lock eyes for eternity. You, <laughs> Sorry, guys. You lock eyes with hell itself, then you rub your eyes. The creature is gone. You stare at the door for a little longer. The door refuses to stare back because doors cannot stare. You let out a nervous chuckle, telling yourself from now on you'll stop writing horror novels and eating those spicy pretzel bits before bed. There are small scratch marks on the door frame. You can't stand making real dinner, but TV tastes like motor oil. Or TV dinner tastes like motor oil. You weigh your choices. An hour for preparation and clean up for a warm, savory meal. Or ten minutes for a microwavable box of tasteless processed stuff. You descend to the cellar where all your groceries are kept. It's still the only place in your house, the concrete floor. And as your feet cringe from the chill of the concrete, consider replacing it with hardwood. You bend down, open the freezer, and search the various processed edible plastics. You pick out what looks like a mildly edible hungry man and close the freezer. As you turn toward the staircase, you see what looks like the ash gray socks sl sluggishly ascending ahead of you. For a second, you pause and then dash after it. The hungry man in your hands probably tough enough to incapacitate an intruder, but when you reach the top of the stairs, there isn't a soul except for you. Then you notice the cuts in the wood. As your head hits the keyboard for the fourth time, ruining a vital push, you reluctantly accept you need to get some sleep. The roars of dismay and racist, homophobic slurs that blur through the speakers only confirm it for you. You quit the game and shut the computer down, then get up out of your chair, stifling a yawn and stretching your arms skywards. The rain is still pouring down, and you can hear it drumming on the roof. You stagger out of the room, pulling your shirt and shorts off and toss them to the ground. You force yourself towards the bathroom. As you perform your nightly ablutions, you start hearing noises as if someone was tiptoeing upstairs. You take a look from the mirror from an angle, looking at your reflection from your bedroom and is the lipper, tilted and peering through the door frame. It has no eyes, and something red is flashing over the mouth, giving a hideous impression of lips, and it is still smiling. Those enormous hands are wrapped around the door frame, and you startle backwards in a fright, all thoughts of sleep gone. The toothbrush dropping from your mouth, it pulls back into the bedroom. You immediately peek through the door. But as usual, there is nothing there. Nothing except the gashes in the frame. You are huddled in bed. Every light in the house is on, which is probably a terrible idea since the storm is getting really underway now. Thunder is smashing and crashing while the light is flashing at every second. It's sure to fry the circuits in your house very soon, but you don't care. Your eyes zip around. Sure, with every flash, the creature will be back. You aren't even sure why you're in bed. You're about to get up and make from the car, then you realize you might encounter the thing on your way. And who's it to say it isn't waiting in the car? As the hours pass, your eyes start to lower, your mind starts to wander, and then you fall into a half-awake, half-asleep twilight that comes into unwary sleep. A sound startles you out of your half-sleep. And then, for one split second, your nose is touching the gash in the face of the leper. It is wet, limp, and soggy with a rubbery texture. Your eyes are centimeters away from the empty, ragged sockets, and you can taste the warm, breath, wet breath on your lips. It smells of urine, rotting meat, and protrudeness. And... <laughs> This time, your scream most certainly awakens the dead, but you have no time to enjoy the exaggeration. And as the entity flees, the incident notices your wakefulness. This time, you grab the axe at the bottom of your bedstand. I don't know who keeps an axe at the bottom of their bedstand. Quick side note, going back to the story. <laughs> as a gift from your father who claimed that you could never be too careful. You snorted then, but now you appreciate his prescience. His prescience. When the cutting tool in your grasp, you pursue the creature into the hallway, but once again, it's gone. You stand there in the middle of the hall, breathing deeply. You're tempted to pass it off as some sort of hallucination, and then you recall the gashes in the wood, the sounds from the day, and above all, the smell and the feel that beast against your skin. 
It was like touching decay and death. It felt wrong, and now it's vanished without a trace. But you know, you know it will return. It will be back. You cannot touch it, but it can touch you. As you stand in the lit hallway in a twilight between wakefulness and slumber, carrying an axe to the middle of the night as thunder and lightning rage outside your sheetrock cage in a crescendo of brilliant destruction, you wail. And then, with the brilliant flash of insight, it hits you. This is all because of that bell. Everything started when you rang the bell. You knew there was something wrong with that. This thing wants the bell. But then you realize the bell has been sitting on your dinner table the whole time. It could have taken the bell any time it wanted. It's toying with you. So you do the only rational thing. You snatch the pair of pants from the ground and don it hastily. Every time is everything. You snatch a flashlight from your bedstand and then run downstairs. Quickly, you find a scrap of paper and a pen and write a note. You aren't even sure what you wrote, but you're sure that it's important. You race to grab the keys and the bell from the table and then run into the garage. The bell and note are stuffed into your pocket and the axe in the shotgun seat. You turn the keys, you push the remote to open the garage door, but the car isn't starting. A particularly brutal, brutal flash of lightning startles you. You look to the side and see the demon, entering the garage from your house. The eyes are back, but blood is oozing from its pupils. It's still grinning at you. And you know for a fact its hands have become longer. It's reaching out to you, but then as it sees you, see it, it stops, oddly unsure whether or not to move forward. That is all the time you need. The car starts up and you smash the accelerator, forcing the car from 0 to 60 within 3 seconds. The car ride shreds what is left to your nerves, the rain is coming down buckets upon buckets, and every time you look to the side, you can see the hell beast illuminated by flashes of light, standing at the edge of the road, reaching out to you in the bell. Providence smiles somewhat as you do not encounter any obstacles. When you reach the walking path, you get out. Hoisting the axe and flashlight, you don't bother to shut the door. You pound through the woods, the rain soaking you to the already chilled bone. This time, the trees are definitely leaning out at you, but you don't care. Fear has given you your feet wings. And you race through, but even as you speed down the path, the monster still pursues you. Every time you dare look back, it is shambling toward you, kicking up the mud, following the pathway and the bell. You keep searching the ground with your flashlight. There, the little ring where you found it. You skid to a halt and fall to your knees. Hastily, you press it right into the tape back to the clapper, securing it. Then, when you bury the bell back in the grass, far deeper than you found it, you stand up and slip on the wet ground as you lie there triumphantly, slightly sunk into the mud authority and splash around you. The flashlight illuminates a sudden movement. You look over and burst into exhausted tears as the flashlight illuminates the devil himself, strolling towards you. The face is still its gray, hideous, messy, rotting, and elated as the water runs down its awful visage. Its eyes have returned and it stares at you with undistinguished triumph. You can see the water vapor being emitted from the ripped slit in the middle of its face. The mouth is upturned in a victorious leer, teeth back, teeth black and rotting. You are too tired and exhausted to offer any sort of resistance as it leans down to pick you up. The last thing you see before merciful slumber takes you in the beast's hands. The long, bony things with the flesh, meat, and muscle completely degloved. They are growing. Okay, so lesson from that story. Don't take a random weird-shaped bell you find for your friend Eric that is spelled differently. Again, this is on scpwiki.com. If you guys want to read it, it's titled Hands. I'm not seeing the name of the author currently, but it is not mine. It is full credit to the author. I am just reading it. So yeah, please subscribe, follow, save the, share the link with your friends. It would really help out a lot as a new streamer.
And if you have any own stories, be free to email them or comment them, send them to me in some way whatsoever. And if I do read them, then I will be sure to give you a special shout out, like a thank you. And yeah.